So we have the new meta episode five with Maz Artang from Ogden Recruiting. Thanks for coming down. Thank you. To your own office. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> so, uh, you know, our show, we'd like to kick off with your backstory. So take us back as far as you want. Sure. What's shaped you? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'll try not to bore you. Um, graduated from Simon Fraser University, Bachelor in Communications. Mm-hmm. My, my whole thought process with schooling was I wanted to get into politics, but at a, at a communications level, so right behind the scenes. Yeah. And then while I was doing it, I worked in hospitality, which is actually where, where Nick and I first yeah. met. Um, and that was honestly, hospitality was just, it's just what I did to pay the bills. Right. That's all of us. Just right. pay the bills. The money's good. Um, and then, and then the market crashed. <laughs> oh, it sure did. <laughs> yeah. Two thousand eight. Just, just, just a little bit. Yeah. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. And uh, and yeah, and, and I kind of as that happened, I, I discovered that my my passion for the communication side of politics it was it kind of just dwindled away. Right. Um, as as it does with most adults in their in their twenties that they're trying to figure out what they want to do in their career. Yeah. And uh, at the time, a a management opportunity was was presented to me with the uh, with the hospitality group that I was working for. I just said, "Heck, uh, I'll take it," and uh, and we ended up doing some great things. And then from there, got promoted, started doing other things. Uh, ended up working with a a small uh, casino in rural BC. Did that, then worked for a more corporate restaurant chain. And then, uh, and, and then I, I loved hospitality, and I love the people component, uh, right. the different dynamics within hospitality, the sales component, the financial component, the HR component. Uh, while I was doing it, I always found that the HR side of things was was what I was the best at. Right. Identifying talent, training people, mentoring leadership. That was yeah. the one thing that I was that I was good at, right. better than the rest. And. Um, and then you know what? Politics just kind of creeped back for whatever reason. <laughs> yeah, it just came back. It just kind of came back, yeah. and and I got involved with politics for a bit, uh, municipal politics. Right. And then, as I was doing that, I uh, I was still working in hospitality. Yeah. Election was 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 finished as far as municipal elections were concerned, and I came back into hospitality, and I just thought to myself, you know what? I think it's time to time to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. I loved working for other people, and it was great. I learned a lot of uh, a lot of important lessons. But I just wanted to do something that was that was my own. Right. And uh, and recruitment was was something that I always I always used recruiters when it came when it came time to looking for jobs. Right. Most most higher profile positions go through recruiters. Mm-hmm. So I just I had a couple of recruiters that I dealt with. Um, they would touch base with me from time to time. Hey, Maz, how are you doing? I got this opportunity. What are, you, what are your thoughts? And, uh, and they were great guys. And I actually still keep in touch with a lot of those people to, to this day. But I thought that there was a component missing right. with the way they approached talent acquisition. I thought the methodology was a little... Uh, what's the word without uh, <laughs> being offensive? Um, it could have been a little bit more... Oh man, how do I? Well, it's like they try to fit. Sometimes they give you a square peg for a round hole. Sure. Because then they can collect the commission for the placement. Right. Like, I mean, calling a spade a spade. Exactly. Yeah, okay, exactly. You said it, not me. (laughs) It's a little bit more, uh, the process could have been a little bit more advanced. It could have been a little bit more 
diligence yeah. as far as screening people, as far as identifying talent, yeah. doing the proper background checks, actually talking to the person yeah. and seeing what they're about. What you're basically saying is they were looking for a fit and could they do the job functionally from an experience standpoint rather than does this person fit the nuance and culture of the company that's looking for this position, exactly. really. Exactly. And that's a square peg around a whole comment. Exactly, right? It's one thing if you're looking for a general manager and this person's got a general manager title, but exactly. do they have the skill set? Do they have the people, the people skills? Mm -hmm. So I thought there was a, a niche in the market for, for hospitality recruitment, because right. I mean, the industry employs 3 million people in Canada, directly and indirectly in some sort right. of capacity, whether they're, I don't know, a security firm putting in you know, cameras within a restaurant or right. audio tech guys. Yep. Yep. Um, and uh, so there was you know, a market of 3 million people, and there's what, 20, 25, executive search firms that specialize mm. in this field. So I and, and a lot of them back east. A lot of them back east. Most yeah. of them back east. Yeah. The big players. And I thought, hey, what a what a great opportunity for me to kind of penetrate this market. Um, and uh, and I rolled the dice. Yeah. I, I did what every entrepreneur does. You you, you roll the dice mm -hmm. and, and you you hope it works. And uh, truth be told, the first six months was really tough. Always like, 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 really? like, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, yeah. Ramen noodles go pretty far. Oh sometimes. man, I'm telling you. Right? <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah. Like I'm telling but you. But I mean, you and the, and the thing I think that's important to you know, we joke about it in the sense that it's, it was tough. But you had very good jobs prior sure. to going out on your own, so you had savings. Yes. And I think this is actually like a very important point to touch on. Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm going to go start my own business. Right. It's like, well, okay, like if you need to incorporate, you're going to pay your lawyer and accountant like three grand. Easy. Like, do, yeah. you, do you have three grand lying around? And sure. that's before you've done even anything. Sure. So, I mean, it's, I always find it, it's good to mention to people, it's like if you're interested in starting your own business, you need savings. Yeah. Because if you don't have those savings, you're going to cut corners and make some really bad decisions. Absolutely. Now, I wish I listened to that. <laughs> I didn't do that. I didn't anticipate anything. I mean, I didn't know what it, like, I didn't understand this whole incorporation aspect, mm -hmm. you right. know, accountants yeah, and yes, like yeah. registering provincially. Yeah. And like, I just didn't, I didn't comprehend these costs. I didn't. Right. So I wish I would have actually taken that advice. Uh, in retrospect, that's the number, the, the first advice I would give is make sure you have some sort of, you know, savings account to, to cushion yeah. you. Because you're not going to have any income or cash flow, which is king. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Cash is king. You're not going to have any sort of cash flow for the first year. Yeah. Significant in my in my business. At yeah. Least. Well, I mean, yeah. if whatever you're making in your job, you're going to take a pay cut. Yeah. For sure. No oh, questions asked. Without without question. And then on top of that, it's your sales cycle. So if your sales cycle to get money in through the door, mm -hmm. it takes six months from you know opening an account. Uh, or like a prospect all the way to close and then placement that could be six months Oh easy so, so that even if you made a sale the day after you open your doors You're not collecting money sure for two quarters. Maybe oh easy. Yeah, so easy. sometimes more yeah. Yeah. depending on on the partner Yeah, it takes a while like when you're starting to get that momentum right to get Absolutely. past that first little hurdle Where you're just establishing there's so many things that people don't think that you have to actually build out Right. Uh, that they're just small things, but they're important. And you have to build these things, get past that, and then things start to, to flow, especially absolutely. on the other side. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So with us, it's, uh, you know, for the first six months, it was tough. I, you know, there, was, there were months where I was like, how, how am I going to pay my rent? <laughs> like, it, there, there, there were times like that. And then, uh, 
the, the lucky break came when we, we signed a couple of local partners. We signed a, a, a hotel group, an international hotel group, uh, through a warm network. Um, uh, Tap and Barrel, our friends at Tap and Barrel yep. came on board. Yep. Cactus Club came on board. Pinnacle right. Hotels. Yep. And Nick, as you know, yes. this industry's really small. Very, very small. Hospitality, like I said, it employs around 3 million people directly and indirectly. But the yep. people at the top, it's a very small community. Yes. So when you when you do a good job with one client, chances are you, you know someone else is going to hear about it, and that's just kind of how it how it progressed into into yeah. where we're at today. And we're a small group, and like you know we're not we're not massive, but we have a pretty good presence on on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Toronto is a market that's growing pretty quick for us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a uh, an office presence there as well now. Yeah. Um, and. Yeah, honestly, that's that's kind of the story of, of autumn recruitment and, and how I got here. One thing that I find really interesting is that you know all of your interests actually line up, and people might say, you know, recruitment, HR, hospitality, politics. What does it all have to do with each other? Mm-hmm. And like the commonality is um, really is your interest in people, right? It's that's kind of the center of it. It's communications. Sure. It's yeah. it's dealing with people. It's you know making other people's lives better in one way, shape, or form. Sure. Right. Well, politics is you know th- that's the service, like civil service, but then really hospitality, it's the same thing, except that you know it's not a not-for-profit. Right. Really. Yeah. Right. You're trying to make people happy. You're trying to give them value for you know what what for their hard-earned money, and HR is like the same thing. It's like you're trying to make people go to jobs where they're going to be happy, and you're selecting who you work with because they're good employers, yeah, right? And then, because that builds your reputation on the back end of that. Absolutely. Yeah, I never thought about that. That's actually, yeah, yeah that's, that makes complete sense. Yeah. I love helping people. It's, mm-hmm. uh, it's a very fulfilling experience when you you take someone who, mm-hmm. who's at a job that they're, they're not happy, they're getting, you know, dicked around by their employer, yeah. and you place them somewhere, mm-hmm. they're happy, they're, they're making more money, it's a very fulfilling experience. Yeah. And same with politics, it's, yeah, and, and even my, the work that I do in nonprofit. Absolutely. So, yeah. so I think it's really connected back to like, that helping people um, slant that you have, right? Like right. That's, that's where you lean towards, and that's yeah. kind of been the commonality that I've at least seen in, uh, in your past, right? So you're good at this thing. Yeah, makes complete sense. But yeah. on, on that note, then I mean, like, I, I, you're very good. You read people really well. So, what are those things that, when you look at a person, whether it's a candidate or a business partner, or you know, somebody internally for yourself, or even you know, people that are business associates, like, how do you look at a person and say, like, that's a good guy or or a gal? How do you break that down? Like, what's your process? Because I mean, it's very natural to you. Sure. But you know, there there must be like as things that you're looking for. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, two things for me. So the first is it depends on the position and the role. Right. So I'm gonna approach every position differently. Am I am I identifying a candidate for a specific role within a restaurant? Is it a, is it a bar manager? I'm gonna have a certain set of uh, ways I'm gonna approach that situation. Am I looking for an employee within our four walls? There's a different set of measures I'm gonna take to find that person. Um, so that's first. It's each there's there's a different methodology to yeah. each person depending on what the role is. So determine the profile of each individual by role or by function is step one. Exactly, step one. Step two is honestly, I I keep it casual. Mm -hmm. I keep it casual. I find when you keep it casual, 
people drop their guard and you mm-hmm. and you see their true colors. Right. Yeah. Whereas if you're you know if you're approaching everything from a stiff business standpoint, mm-hmm. tell me about yourself. Yeah. What you know? Tell me. Give me three characteristics that set you apart from the competition. <laughs> right. People are just yeah. gonna resort to a script. Yeah. The That's all they're gonna do. Yeah. 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 And and people can memorize scripts. Mm-hmm. But yeah. it's it's tough to actually tell you know it's actually it's tough to measure what that person's about when they're just memorizing a script. So yeah. I find when I keep it casual, you know, it's first things first. Tell me about yourself. The way you guys are kind of asking me questions about yeah. myself. Yeah. Tell me about yourself. Like, what's your story, man? Like, what yeah. what what got you here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then when they have that comfort with you, then they're very honest. Mm-hmm. They're very honest, and based off that, I can tell whether that person's a good fit for whatever the role may be. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Based on the criteria, so you're looking for, you know, whether it's leadership skills, how they look at other people, versus, you know, interpersonal skills, if they're more front of house or they're more customer facing, whatever exactly. have you. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. Yeah, so if it's like, you know, we were talking about this before the cameras were recording, you know, um, a bar manager, a bar manager position, for instance, right? right? So bar manager position, just for your, your your viewers that might not know. So bar manager is someone who works behind the bar. They do yeah. the the ordering, the inventory. Yeah. Um, they train up and coming bartenders. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bar within a restaurant is a very social. It's a, it's the epicenter of 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 conversation of, right. of talking of, of friendship of building yeah. those relationships yeah. so the person you want at the helm of that is probably going to be someone who's social right. they may be a little quirky yeah. their mm-hmm. answers might not be perfect but that's okay yeah. because that's yeah. that's who we want to talk to yeah but if the answers they can get away with those in a social setting without it being awkward sure then it's fine right if it's conversational absolutely yeah. but if it's you know if it's uh if it's a director of operations or a COO that we're screening and, right. and sourcing, then that you know those set those certain set of mannerisms might not might not fly, right? <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you don't want your director of operations talking about you know how he went to Las Vegas with his buddies over the weekend and having a good time, right? Like yeah. that's probably not the guy you want running your fifty million dollar company. Yeah. Um, but uh, I forgot where we we're going with this. Uh, we we're talking well, just about profiles. Yeah, profiles yeah. it varies based off of. Uh, based on the individual yeah. and the position. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, for us, one thing that we always like look for is um, how much of a slant people have in terms of helping others, right? So one of our actual values internally at Blue Meta is uh, the, the 5149, so that means give more than you receive, no matter what. Right. Right, so what, you know, are people in it for themselves? I mean, everybody's in it for themselves to some degree, but does that override the greater good and does that override um, helping others, Yeah. right? Because there's, there, it's an interesting dynamic where there are situations where you can help somebody else and help yourself at the same time by doing you know, 2% more work. Sure. But the person that takes more than they give won't think of even doing that tiny little thing just to even CC somebody on an email, for example, sure. which could make a world of difference for them. Yeah. But because they're not outwardly thinking, how can I help people in general? Right. Then those are the types of people that we want. And if they're not slanted that way, we don't really want to be in business. With sure. Them, right? It's funny you say that actually, because it's uh, we, one of the things that we talked about, you know, integrity and methodology with the yeah. other recruitment agencies. Um, and uh, one of the things that I have always told our people, the guys, that the, the folks that work for Autumn, is 
if, if there is another opportunity for our candidate that's truly a better opportunity than what right. we're presenting, mm -hmm. you tell that person to take the opportunity. Yeah. You tell them 100%. Yeah. Don't be selfish. Don't be that selfish, yeah. slimy recruiter who's going to slam the other role in an effort to make a commission. That's not how we operate. Yeah. And, and kind of like you guys, it's uh, sh will, that, will we shoot ourselves in the foot in, in the short term? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Probably. There's a lot of invoices that we've missed out on because yeah. we've, we've been blatantly, we've told the guy, hey, like th that's really a better opportunity. Yeah. You should take it's a better fit. It's, yeah, it's a better fit for you and your profile and yeah. whatever. Exactly. Yeah. But, what's but what's happened, and we're starting to see it now, you know, mm -hmm. four or five years down the line, is we've built that trust with that candidate. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So now that candidate will only work with us. Yeah. They'll say that relationship equity, you can't buy that. No. It's impossible. Impossible. Yeah. 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 And and yeah, same with some of our partners. I mean, we're in the business of talent acquisition. That's all we do. Yeah. You come to us, you say this is who we're looking for, yeah. mm -hmm. we find that person and, and we invoice you for that. Yeah. Now in that process we have access to you know a ton of market research. Mm -hmm. Yes. You know, we've invested a lot of money in offer letters, for instance, right. developing bonus programs. Um, you know, understanding what uh, what roles entail, job description, and so forth. Yeah. But we we offer that as a free service to our partners, yeah. so they feel like they're getting that extra value. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, I think that the one really big thing that I think you touched on here was the long versus short term, mm -hmm. right? And the uh, the fifty one forty nine principle for us is exactly that. You know, we were in it for the long haul. So I mean, we've walked into sales meetings with clients where they say this is what we need, and it's like mm, you need to go to these other guys instead, right? Because yeah. like that, we know for a fact these other people do it way better than we do. Right. So let 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 us make an introduction for you. Yeah, and not a lot of people do that. Well, yeah. most no. people actually most, don't do that. No, and yeah. and to your point, a lot of people will actually say no. What you think your needs are aren't actually what they are. You need what we do in instead to make that sale. Yeah, yeah. 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 But ultimately, the problem that occurs there is. You know, if, if you're looking at this from the vantage point of wanting to retain a client or a relationship for five or ten years, mm -hmm. that system of trying to take it for yourself doesn't work. I agree. Yeah, I mean, you're really, what you're doing is you're planting seeds, right? Like, sure. these are all seeds you're planting that in the future, some of it may not, you know, come to fruition, but a lot of it will come back uh, in your favor. I agree, which is why the whole savings thing is important. <laughs> Because you're going to be broke for the yeah. first two to three years. Yeah. So. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, it, that's interesting that you say that because the more seeds you plant, the less money you make up front. Sure. But the more you can delay the harvest, the better the harvest is. I agree. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, with us, like I said, we're the new kids on the block. But I mean, yeah. we've been in business for four to five years now, yeah. and uh, we're already one of the players. Exactly. Natural stage, and, it's, and, and, and I, I truly believe it's because we operated with the utmost integrity. We were honest with our candidates, yeah. and uh, we provided our partners with a, a service that they're like, man, like right. I really got my money's worth. So yeah. here's a question for you. Sure. So as you grow, how are you going to maintain the advantage? Which I would say, you know, having spoken to a lot of recruiters and for different you know industries. Your approach is more of like a boutique. You're 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 trying to vet culture a bit more. Sure. By the way, almost everybody says that they vet culture, but I've worked with you and you actually vet culture. <laughs> so it's, yeah. it's very different. Nick and I have worked <laughs> together quite a bit. So best. so I mean, how do you maintain that boutique feel and that boutique level of service 
that, you know, quite frankly, isn't present in other places as you scale your company? Like, have you given that thought and how you're going to try to, you know, bottle that magic? Sure. Yeah. Good, great question. Um, I think that boils down to our own talent acquisition needs in-house, right? Who we hired to yeah. come work for us yeah. and making sure that we're, we're passing that on and that we're investing in the training and that uh, whoever comes on board, uh, whether in a recruitment capacity or an account management capacity or in a sourcing capacity, that they right. embody those values. Right. And, yeah. and that really kind of falls on my shoulders right yeah. now at this point. And it's tough, especially when you have multiple geographies. Sure. Right? Absolutely. Keeping everybody in one office or in one geographic area, it's easy because you take them out for lunch once in a while, you're in the same office, you talk to them at the water cooler, getting a coffee, whatever. Mm -hmm. But the second that you expand across Canada like you have, well, the three hour time difference sure. is, is a challenge. It's more of a challenge than people think it is. Oh, it's crazy. Yeah. And then on top of that, it's maintaining that culture with that divide because there's something to be said about, you know, the nuances of being around people, you know, physically. Mm -hmm. right. right. So I, and by the way, like we're big proponents of, you know, work from home, Skype in, whatever it is. Absolutely. But we also make sure to connect in person hopefully at least once a week if yeah. not if not more right right yeah and that can be difficult absolutely yeah yeah um i agree yeah it's uh it, fortunately for us um a lot of the the markets like the vancouver toronto and calgary markets yeah. are quite similar when it comes to hospitality mm -hmm. quite similar um, the big players in Toronto, whether it's you know the Marriotts of the world and uh, and the Fairmonts of the world and the Cactus Clubs mm -hmm. of the world, they have a presence here too, and they're all using the same training manual. So you know, right. they're, they're, it's chances are the culture is quite similar. It might right. differ in, in some some aspects, but when you start hitting those rural communities, you know the the Saskatoons of the world. Well, not that Saskatoon's a rural community, but it's a yeah. much smaller uh, market yeah. than, yes. than a Calgary, for right. instance. Or like a red deer, right? Uh, even a, even a Kelowna. I mean, the, the yeah. mindset and culture is is, is different yeah. in those markets. Um, one of the things I was going to ask you about was um, turnover in terms of like the cost of turnover. Sure. Right. Uh, a lot of businesses have a really hard time measuring like, you know, what's the value of the culture? What's the value of keeping the employees uh, right. here uh, versus turning them over? And obviously, like. That's the goal, you know, keep them well, keep them with you. Sure. Right. Especially in hospitality. Yeah. Where turnover, especially front of house, exactly. back of house positions can be quite steep. Oh but, yeah. But I, I would imagine, I mean, if you're placing the right candidate, you're gonna have less turnover. Yes. Is, and that's something where, you know, is that is that part of the pitch? Like, do you look at the, the cost of the turnover? Is that something your clients are very concerned about? Yeah, it depends on the client and if they they're they're business oriented. Some people, uh, the business-oriented folks, understand the cost of a mishire, and they enjoy right. they enjoy using recruiters. They're like, you know, I, I get it. Uh, I can either spend you know countless hours putting up job, uh, you know, posting up on job boards, yeah. uh, reaching out to networks, sifting through resumes, mm -hmm. sitting down interviewing people, um, and then you know invest all that time in tra to train that person, mm -hmm. and that person doesn't work out, and then start from square one. There's yeah. people that understand that that takes time, effort, and money, yeah. therefore I'm gonna hire a recruiter to yeah. do all that for me, and guess what, if the person doesn't work out, there's a guarantee period, yeah, so right. they'll just, they'll do all that for me and I'm going to focus yeah. on what's actually going to grow my business, yeah. which is my top line revenue and, and my training within my four walls and, and my people. 
Uh, and then you got those guys who, you know, took out a loan and they, they got lucky and yeah. they have a restaurant that does well, but they don't really understand the business components of, uh, right. of running a restaurant or a hotel. Yeah. And they're like, why am I paying you this much money? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think one really important point to understand about recruitment, and I think that people that don't understand why they should use recruiting services don't fundamentally understand is that the majority of the best candidates never look for work. Yeah. You have to contact them when they're not even looking yes. for the job. Yes. Those are the best candidates, bar none. 100%. And so yeah. when you put up a job posting, you're getting the people that are actually looking for a job. Yes. And the which odds- are not all, Which are not bad all the no, time. No, they're but, not bad all the time, but the odds of those being the best people are low. 100%. Way lower than the people that you actually like go and talk to. Mm -hmm. and, as a, and as recruiters in a specific industry, you're constantly talking to everybody, everybody because even after you've placed somebody or they moved on to another place, you keep talking to them like forever. Yeah, and that, it's not stop. It's not. It's, it's not stop. Yeah. And so the thing is, is that when somebody comes in and says, "Hey, I need this position," you're like, "I already know five guys." Yeah, in the back of my head. Yeah. Yeah. Because you're you're not just. You're constantly networking in the space, and the second you meet a general manager or an ops director or whatever, you're putting them in the Rolodex and you're keeping them more permanently. Yeah. And it could be three, four, five years before they're actually even looking for a job where you say, hey, I have this opportunity, and they say, I'm interested. Totally. They might say, I'm not interested 12 times before that. Sure. Right? The good recruiters, yeah, yeah. absolutely. They're always, they're, yeah, I agree. Yeah. And, and it's hard to kind of explain that to the to the smaller business owner. Right. And not even smaller ones. Some, there's yeah. some bigger guys, but that, that, you know, that got very lucky. They they hired some good uh, management personnel and, you know, they, they brought on people. But right now, I mean, the market's hot. It's firing on all on all cylinders. Yeah. I mean, what's unemployment in BC is like four percent. Like it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. Like, it's like yeah. there's, yeah. there's yeah. more jobs than people. Yes. So it's uh, now now they have no choice but to use a recruiter because yeah. those days of you know putting up job ads and having people come in or using yeah. their own warm networks like it's it's gone. Yeah. yeah. It's gone unless you yeah. go through a recruiter. It's very difficult to find yeah. that that star candidate. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's interesting because the market right now is such that from posting something, getting somebody's resume, if you're, if you don't call them back and get them in for an interview within three weeks, they've probably already accepted another offer. Oh, try three days. <laughs> <laughs> try three days. Oh we, man. We had, and, and this has been the biggest struggle with the casinos because right. the casinos have to deal with the gaming policy enforcement branch, which is like a two week process. Just background check. Background yeah. check, yeah. Mm -hmm. So they've been, they've been hurt the most. And the hotels who have this very diligent screening process, which is you go in, you meet with the director of HR, then you go in, you meet with the, the, the department head, and then you go in and you finally meet with the general manager. It's like, that's a three process. That person got a job two weeks ago. Right. Whereas this is the advantage the restaurants have is because there's that, you know, there's one guy in charge usually, one or two people in charge. Yeah. They can they can interview the person, they can do their reference check within a few days, yeah. and then bam, you got a job off yeah. in two days. And if they do two interviews, they're doing those two interviews like days apart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And presenting at least a preliminary offer of some kind. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, you're right though. It's uh in this market, especially in Vancouver and in, in, in Toronto, like if you don't have a, if you like the person and they interview well, if you don't have a job offer within three days, they're gone. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, they're gone. Interesting. How much do you think that has to do with affordability of larger cities? Because I mean, I try to connect that because 
to me, it seems that there's a lot of people, and especially in the hospitality industry, that are moving more towards the suburbs because of the affordability of specifically Vancouver and Toronto. Right. It definitely plays a role. However, having that said, uh, when it comes to hospitality, the best jobs typically they're typically based in the downtown core. Yeah. I mean, we do get positions uh, that come up in, in the suburbs, and, and they're great, yeah. uh, but it's just not as common as, right. as right. the downtown markets. Yeah. Um, maybe in the surrounding areas, North Shore, in Vancouver, or like, you know, in, in uh, Etobicoke or, or Hamilton for sure, but yeah, the best jobs are typically based in, in the city centers. Affordability definitely does play a role in the sense that people are, are cautious when it comes to uh, relocating. Like if we're right. reaching out to a candidate based in Kelowna mm -hmm. um, or Victoria for a job in Vancouver, mm -hmm. they right. might be reluctant to view it because, like, okay, sure, the position pays you know ten or fifteen grand more than than what I'm making right now. But is it actually effectively more take home exactly. after after my cost right. of living? Sure, exactly. Yeah. So it does yeah. it does definitely affect it in that in that sense, and we have we have seen that. So back in the day. You know, working in Toronto or working in Calgary or working in Vancouver, that was every kind of restaurateur's, that was their dream. They yeah. wanted to work around in the big city. Work in the big city, run a high volume yeah. restaurant or yeah. hotel in the big city, five star property or 10 million plus, you know, yeah. restaurant. Yeah. But yeah, now, and, and you could attract those, those, you know, star candidates in those right. smaller markets, but now they're becoming a little bit more uh, reluctant, a little bit more hesitant. So harder to find. Harder yeah. to find, sure, yeah. But would you say that's mainly reflected in the, the management positions, or is it is it also the same when it comes to like the entry level? Good question. I wouldn't be able to answer that accurately from a from the from the entry level positions because mm -hmm. most of our work we, we focus on managerial positions. Yeah. Yeah. We work on a contingency based. That's our business model. We're contingency based. There are some recruitment agencies that that do take a retainer, but that's what sets us apart from the competition right. is that we work on a, a success-based model. Yeah. Yeah. So we don't have, I don't have access to that information to, mm -hmm. to answer that accurately. Um, but yeah, definitely with management positions, it's, mm -hmm. uh, there is that reluctance to, to want to relocate. Yeah. So now you've worked in rural BC and downtown. What are now the pros and cons like? Because I mean, I know that for a while you actually moved, like before before your business, sure. you actually moved to rural BC. Yeah. What, what, <laughs> yeah. Pros and cons of moving that far out, like how, how did you feel about that? <laughs> honestly, if you're if you're a young up and comer, yeah. it's, it's it's what you should do to, to right. get to the next level because it is more difficult to find that you know rock star talent in the rural communities. Right. If you're willing to bite the bullet for a few years, mm -hmm. I actually recommend people to do that mm -hmm. because a a casino in Vancouver is not going to hire a 25 year old. No, there's no, no way. There's no way. Yeah, but you know, a casino in you know Fort Nelson mm -hmm. would definitely hire a 25 year old who has the right skill set, the right attitude, right. interviews well. They de they definitely will. Mm -hmm. So you know, I some of the so you build your resume there, come back to the big city after you you have proven results. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. Yeah, because I think that's actually really important in the Lower Mainland. Getting a job and getting promoted is very difficult if the company is. The type of company that likes to promote from within, yeah. maybe it's a little bit easier. But the issue at hand is, is that even for that company, well, if they lean towards that internal promotion, it probably is easier to just go external and find that manager rather than promote somebody to a manager and teach them how to manage. Sure. 
Yeah. Because there's there there sure are enough of them around, right? Right. And even if you have to pay them more, the cost benefit of training, you know, when you're done with that, it's cheaper to hire from outside. For sure. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, I tell people that all the time. Don't be afraid to, to relocate, especially if you're in your 20s or, or early 30s and you don't have a family. I mean, man, yeah. it, it definitely helped me out. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's, uh, it, and I get it. Like, yeah. I, I get it. So, and it's a cool experience. I mean, I learned so much. You know, when yeah. you live in the when you live in the city, you're kind of stuck in this bubble, and then you, you go to you know rural Canada, and man, oh man, it's uh, that stereotype of nice Canadians. You really see where that comes from. It comes from rural yeah. Canada. It's not coming from the big cities. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's kind of a refreshing perspective because I think that for the majority of young people. You know, especially like in, in college, university, like everybody's thinking like, gonna graduate, like move to the big city. Like that's yeah. for, for a lot of people. Yeah. Sorry, everybody. Yale Town sells the most cheap beer out of like any, like, what is it? Per square kilometer, they sell the most cheap beer of all of Canada. Yeah, is it real? Is that, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, because everybody moves to Yale Town. It's like, oh, like I'm gonna get two, three roommates and live here. Yeah. And they have no money, right? Yeah, it's crazy. Because that, that's the whole chasing <laughs> the big city. It's like, I, I lived in, you know, Surrey or Langley or, Chilliwack all my life. I want to live here. Sure. Yeah, so they all congregate in one area. You're seeing, yeah, absolutely. I think what you're seeing though uh, in a lot of, like Hamilton for instance has this really cool up and coming uh, culinary restaurant community. Fort Langley. Yes. Absolutely. I mean like a lot of these chefs that, you know, they were working for high profile restaurants. Mm -hmm. They were making good money. They, yeah. they decided they want to take the next step in the career, which is, you know, being an owner operator of a property. Yeah. They go set up shop in, in those markets that are, that are much more affordable. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, uh, it's what you've seen in the past two or three years. It's like, you know, you go to these, you go to Hamilton or you go to Fort Langley. It's mm -hmm. awesome. Yeah. yeah. Like you got some like very high profile restaurants yeah. run by some like, you know, some are Michelin trained chefs, right. the Red Seal designations. Yeah. You walk in and it's like, you're getting a, a meal that you would expect in Vancouver or, yes. or downtown Toronto in the financial district. And yeah. it's like, it's right here in yeah. Fort Langley. Yeah. And it's yeah. like five minutes away from my house. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, do you have any tips for anybody that wants to start their own business? Uh, any any hard learned lessons? <laughs> you know, Tons, where do I begin, man? <laughs> Uh, cash is king. Uh, cash flow is very important. So, you know, when I first started my business, I, I found myself fixated on a lot of the redundant tasks. Mm. Every component of your business is busy, whether it's marketing, admin, paper, right. that's all important. Yes. But focus on what's going <clears> to <throat> actually drive sales. Yeah. So, Marketing, getting your name out there is yes. probably what's going to actually add dollars and cents to your bank account. That's going to help you yeah. get by initially. Yeah. Um, valuing the, the power of marketing, valuing the power of social media, putting your name out there. Don't be afraid to reach out to your warm networks. I yeah. find that that is the, that's what jumpstarts your business. It's just. That's an interesting thing though. Like, I see this all the time where people are afraid to, especially when they launch. People are very afraid of contacting their inner circle because conventional wisdom tells you be an employee, opening your own business is highly risky. It is, that's the punchline. But, you know, people are gonna, if they want what's best for you, they're gonna try to keep you safe. 
Right. So when you tell them it's like I'm opening my own business, it's almost like you don't want that scrutiny. So that's where people don't reach out to their, you know, first first order contacts. Sure. Because they're like, well, I, if I fail because I'm just starting out and there's a lot of risk, I don't want the like finger pointing and the I told you so is right. right. Yeah. And, but that holds you back and that can cause you to fail because you actually didn't do that and right. reach out, right? Yeah. I, I can tell you with 100% with certainty, autumn recruitment wouldn't be where we're at today if I didn't reach out to my warm networks right. and my friends. That's that's how we got the ball rolling. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we're getting a lot of outside clients in right now. Yeah. Uh, we're, we're doing business development, but that's not what got the business right. up and running. It was yeah. reaching out to my former colleagues who are now in director of ops positions. Right. Those, those positions that they, they can make those yeah. executive decisions yeah. to bring on an external recruitment agency and not do it all in-house. So right. I agree. Completely take advantage of your your friendship, your 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 networks, your your warm connects, mm -hmm. and you know what? Don't do not be afraid of getting rejected. Like this is, yeah, yeah. It, you know, it's I I always had this fear when I first started of just picking up the phone and calling someone mm -hmm. or or yeah. reaching out, sending an email, yeah. and it's like. I was so afraid, but really, like, think about it. Like, yeah. what is it? Yeah, what's the result? Of what is the yeah. worst thing that can happen? <laughs> yeah. Like, literally, what is yeah. the worst yeah. thing that can happen? Yeah. They say, and most people, what, what a lot of people don't realize is most executives are very friendly. <clears throat> yes, they got to where they are. If you catch them at the right time, sure. If they're busy, yeah, they're in the middle of a meeting and it's yeah. like you know yeah. reviewing their financial statements. Probably not a good time, yeah. but most executives are very friendly. Yes. If you reach out to them, the worst case scenario is they say, hey, thanks for your time, yeah. not interested. Yeah. That is the worst thing. They're not gonna know who you are. They're gonna forget <laughs> about you by lunchtime. Like, just yeah. reach out. Don't be afraid to, to pick up yeah. the phone and call or yeah. ask someone to make that, uh, that connection for you. Yeah. Well, I think that goes back to also your point of like, stay away from the redundant. Right, because usually if we're good at a specific thing, we go away from the things that have rejection built in them, like sales, right. and we go to the redundant things because I know how to do it, I'm comfortable, this is what I used to do in my last job. Right. Well, it's super easy, so like, I'm comfortable, I'm just, I wanna play here, because it feels nice. Yeah. But it doesn't feel nice in the long term. No, no, exactly, <laughs> yeah. I agree, yeah. So yeah, I mean, a, a combination of uh, making sure you got your savings, which I wish I would have uh, taken that advice, um, focusing on the things that are actually going to make you money in the short term. You can focus on all the backhand stuff later on. That stuff yeah. is, is... As long as it's not falling apart. As long as it's like, not falling yeah. apart, you're not getting audited by the government, yeah. <laughs> like you're, yeah. you're, you're fine. Yeah. Um, and, and don't be afraid of rejection. Like really, yeah. at the end of the day, it's just no. Like. Yeah. They're not gonna know who you are. You know, it's not like they're gonna see you in the street and be like, "Hey, you're the guy that like, called on me." Like, yeah. They don't know who you are. Like, it's, it's People fun. just line up. You called. I'm cold calling your house. Right? Like that, that's never gonna happen. No, it's not. And, and warm networks. Yeah. Reach out to all your warm networks. Yeah. Well, I think that I, a big part of this is you know. You know, a psychologist would call it your level of disagreeableness, mm -hmm. but translated as how much do you care about what other people think of you? Right. And that, and the fear of that. And that's legitimate. 
Right? And I think we all kind of have that I, I don't to think, a certain extent. If anybody says that they don't care about what anybody thinks of them at all times, that's a lie. Oh, for sure. Because you care about something that somebody says, like whether it's like your family or like... Person yeah. yeah. But I mean, the thing is that I think it, because like we're such social, like humans are just so social that that rejection, like it, it doesn't feel like they're rejecting your pitch. It right. feels that they're rejecting you as a person yeah. and they're not. No. Yeah. No, but it, but to separate that, like you gotta like almost engage the logic brain to say, right. hey, they're 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 rejecting this offer or they're rejecting the offer yeah. the way that I stated it. Yeah. Maybe it didn't provide enough value for them. Sure, but you can't take it personally. Yeah. You you really can't. Yeah, and you're right. And and you know what? And I know this is maybe a little controversial, but I guess an advice that I would give to someone is, are you comfortable with 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 doing that because that's what you're gonna have to put yourself out there yeah you're, you're gonna feel vulnerable you're gonna get rejected if you're someone who who's not comfortable to, to reach out and, and ask for yeah. business then yeah. maybe starting your own business isn't a good idea you're gonna put yourself in debt and it's not gonna work I 100% agree with that yeah. so if that's who you are but you have all the other entrepreneurial qualities that sounds a lot like a COO yeah right or like like a number two or a three four five six seven mm -hmm. And you know, last I checked, being like you know number two through fifty of like say like Uber, that probably went really well for them. Oh, for every right? company, like the, companies, right? Like strong they're, they're, oh, oh, yeah, strong, yeah, yeah, like those and all those people, even number fifty at Uber probably got shares and is probably a multimillionaire now on paper. Oh, absolutely. So, so the thing is, is that you you know you got to know your niche and to expand on that. If that rejection makes you that unhappy, right? Being an entrepreneur is gonna make you miserable. Oh yeah, and, oh, and, and what you should really be hunting after is happiness, mm. right? Because if, if being an entrepreneur is so important to you as a status symbol, that you're gonna make your life miserable, how long are you gonna last? I agree, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, yeah. so I mean, if, if you're not comfortable doing that, maybe look at partnering up with someone who, who is good at doing yes. that. Because yeah. I mean, I uh, I don't want to bring up names, but the, the, a lot of the, the the most successful restaurateurs in Vancouver, you have that dynamic. You have yeah. the guy who's the crazy guy with the grandioso ideas, yeah. who's not afraid to go out there uh, and get things done. But chances are that person's not the best when it comes to financials or administration or operations, right? So like yeah. some of the most successful restaurant groups in the country have that dynamic. Yeah. That number one, who's a little you know a little crazy, yeah. who's that got that entrepreneurial spirit, yeah. and then a strong number two. Um, and I shouldn't say one or two is if you know one is more senior than the other. I'm, I'm saying just like it's, they're both number ones. Yes. But one is good in on different aspects. In different aspects, yes. exactly. One is good on the operations admin system side of things, which is fundamental with yeah. any successful business. Well, the, the, here's the thing, it's like, the more knowledgeable you are, the more risk you see on, a, on any given topic. So if you're very good at business, if you actually run the numbers back, being an entrepreneur makes zero sense. Oh. If, you do, if you do the math on it, <laughs> right? Like if you, if you make like a five-year cash flow of your own personal income, and then say, what are the odds of me as an employee like a being here and then going up two percent a year or three percent a year versus an entrepreneur where your first year is completely you know in a tank. question mark yeah, yeah right and you run that out and then you create like a lifetime value of that cash like invested etc etc oh unless your business becomes pretty significantly big which the odds are against you on the math dictates that you should never open a company yeah so the crazier people that's why they're usually number one because they're like 
I don't care about the math. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? like, just don't care about the math. Yeah. I'm doing it anyway. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Again, against all conventional wisdom. Yeah. And that's usually why they're the number one or the first person. And when I say number one, I don't mean that the most important person in the company. Right. What I'm saying is that they're that person that actually says, I'm going out here and I'm doing it. And then they recruit people through their vision to follow them. Yeah. Right. And to follow their vision. Right. I agree. Yeah. It's, it's so funny you say that. Yeah. It's, it's so true because I'm just thinking about some of our partners and, and there's always that dynamic, especially if there's a partnership, there's that guy who's just like, all right, all right, Steve, like, let's, let's pull you back a little bit, right? <laughs> Maybe buying two restaurants is not a good idea. Let's make sure we first have our, you know, our existing restaurants in shape. We have the right personnel yeah. and we have the right management yeah. to, to go to the next yeah. location and actually let's, scale. And actually scale. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Scaling is, is, uh, is an interesting component in hospitality. Yes. Yeah. Especially with recruitment because you have to just, with recruitment, you have to just come to the understanding that we're not a tech company in the sense right. that you can't create an app, invest X amount of money, put it up on the app store and have, you know, millions of people download it yeah. and just scale substantially within a short period of time. Yeah. With, with recruitment, your top line grows. Yeah. as your payroll grows. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. So coming to that understanding too is 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 important because a lot of people come to me and they say, hey, you know, what's your plan to be the next billionaire? And it's like, my plan isn't to be the next billionaire. I'm, my, I'm quite content. Yeah, with the, the business model doesn't allow for that. No. It doesn't. It doesn't. You can live quite comfortably and then you can invest things and become the next and billionaire. And be very investments. Happy. Exactly. But I mean, it, it's not one of these, like, it's not going to be an Amazon. It never no. will be. It's just not the business model. No, it's just not. It's just yeah. not. And understanding that. Unless you figure out some sort of algorithm to automatically sh like Identify shuffle, shuffle people <laughs> based, based on some sort of test, yeah. right? That would be crazy. That's definitely That's worth a million. <laughs> <laughs> just watch that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now that Math goes cool. away and it's just like, <laughs> by the way, I built this thing. <laughs> I came up with it by myself. <laughs> That is funny. And you know what? Yeah, that is the next like billion dollar idea. A, a, a software that can recognize facial recognition. And all uh, the soft skills. All the like, soft yeah. skills yeah. Uh, on top of your, your resume, your experience. Yeah. Absolutely, that is the next billion that, dollar that, idea. That's worth a billion dollars for sure. sure. Yeah, we just made you rich, but, everyone. Yeah, <laughs> we'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck, though. <laughs> that's easy. Yeah. <laughs> So like right now there's a, uh, there is a, so MSPs being removed, right? We can yeah. more so prevention. That, that's right? 2020? 2020. Yeah. So MSP was, was, was going to be removed anyways under the previous government. Like right. they, had, they had put the gears in motion for it to be removed in 2020. Right. So the current government is taking the credit for it, which is fine. Interesting. The governments do that all yeah. the time. It's yeah. totally part of it. It's just normal. Yeah. But what, what this government has done is to offset the cost of MSP is they introduced an employer, an employer health tax. So that wasn't part of the original plan? No, it was definitely not. So it was plan. removal, the end, Correct. but now they're trying to money grab through other means. And also they put the stress on the municipalities. Oh. So it's being separated between the business owners and, and the municipalities. Right. But mostly the business owners. So now companies that have a payroll of over half a million yes. have to pay an additional, I think it's 14% towards this employer health tax. Wow. Now, 14% of, let me bring it up actually, I, I have it right here. Because 14% sounds like a lot. Oh yeah, it's, uh, 
And that also penalizes certain types of businesses more than others. Well, specifically restaurants, because what they're trying to do is they're trying to target the big corporations. I mean, if you, which makes sense. You sure? Think, you think like, half a million dollars? You think that's a lot of money? But chances are they're a big tech firm. But from a restaurant standpoint, business, yeah. that's nothing. I mean, yeah. restaurants payroll are easily close to a million dollars for a lot of people. Oh well, yeah, um, absolutely. And and they're small business owners, and the margins are already super. Like we can talk about this. Oh well, yeah, but the margins super thin. The margins are nothing in yeah. hospitality. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, compared to other industries, absolutely. It's a labor of love, unless you own like a a, a, a Telus Gardens Global or right. like a Sham Bar, where yeah. you're doing like twelve, fifty million in revenue. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're just you're, yeah. Like if you're if you're a, a one off location or even two locations, like good luck on your margins, right? You're, you're not essentially getting... paying yourself. You're mm-hmm. you're employing your family, your friends, and yeah, you might make three percent or four percent if that. Yeah, so most people wow. aren't actually making money. You guys were a rarity where you're putting out ten percent. You're saying to people like that. That's unheard of. Those are for like single market returns. Yeah, yeah for yeah. single location. Yeah. That's unheard yeah. of. I mean, obviously, like the bigger groups are doing 15, 18 plus percent, right? But mm-hmm. when you have those kinds of discounts from that buying power and you know, so so payrolls above five hundred thousand dollars will now have to pay sorry a two point nine two percent payroll tax on each dollar of payroll. So you know, I was talking to and is that full employer? That's not split between employer and employee. No, that's one hundred percent. One hundred percent. So three percent. Three percent. Yeah. So I was talking to a small a small business owner who's a partner of ours in Burnaby, and he now has to pay thirty eight thousand dollars extra. Extra. But on a business that makes, makes no money, no, makes no money. Yeah. So that's a huge financial strain. I mean, the Marriotts of the world can absorb that. It just sucks. They might take the well, calls away from somewhere else. But they'll absorb them and then they'll reissue them somehow. But when you have that kind of scale, and when you have that scale into multiple provinces or even countries, mm-hmm. you increase something by a penny, and like the whole group offsets that. Absolutely. When when you all your locations are in BC, that's a huge deal. Absolutely, yeah. and and now there's the minimum wage increase, which is fine. I've actually always been a big proponent. Every, everybody increases their the cost of everything, and then then it's fine because like everybody increases the prices on the menu items. Everything you learn to adapt. Out. You learn to adapt to, to to the certain conditions. And you know what? I I'm a strong proponent of people getting paid, getting paid well. Yeah. If you are in a if you are a business owner and you're skimming off your employees, and you, yeah, you're yeah. in the wrong business, man. You're just yeah. a shitty business owner. Like take care of your people. That's fine. But yeah, the payroll tax, yeah. it's, yeah, that, I mean, that's just like an unnecessary burden. Right. That these restaurateurs are like, man, oh man, like yeah. $35,000, that's a lot. Well, beyond hospitality yeah. though, I mean, really you're looking at any workforce which is either part-time or, you know, not not like a salaried, non-salaried position, like work that people do when while they're going to school, et cetera. Sure. You're punishing everybody. Yeah. Because before you didn't have to pay that money there, like in other places, sure, you were paying benefits, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But, you know, how do you absorb that cost? Yeah. Yeah. You, you just, you, you take the hit. You take the hit. You take the hit. Yeah. yeah. And if payroll is 50% of your cost, which for some businesses it is, you know, especially like, in, in hospitality, it's, it's, the, it's, it's the biggest cost. It is. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, if you're, if you're making 3% and now that 3% is taken up by this tax, really like, 
isn't this just going to end up being passed on to the consumer at the end of the day by through raising prices and, it will, and such? I mean, depends on, you know, on the that's like you may as well pay your MSP because now you're going to pay it somewhere else. Well, anyway. it's the defensibility of it, right? Because the the idea is is that well, you know, you pass this on to your customer, but you know, back to the small business owners, often small business owners do something because they love it, not because they're not because their business acumen is incredibly high. Mm -hmm. It's high enough to run their specific business, mm -hmm. but. How, you know, teaching somebody how to run the calculations to offset, you know, if say like their payroll cost is 50% and this 3% increase happens, it's like that's a 1.5% overall increase. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you break that down into all your items mm -hmm. in order to recover that, yeah. right? Like it's not easy math. And you're probably gonna have to employ your like accountant or like a consultant to do this. Guess what, that's an additional cost. And what does that project, Cost for a consultant, three grand, five grand, oh, on the I, low. I was gonna say, on the, yeah, uh, on the entry level yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's if like the guy's like taking pity on you, right? Because yeah. that's a big project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the assumption is that you know the market will regulate itself, and it will, but it regulates itself by certain people going out of business, and the people that were, you know, had the ingenuity to figure it out, stay in business. Mm -hmm. Right. But you're still destabilizing at, at the core, like. You know people's livelihoods. Sure. Yeah. And 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 the and the role of government is not to be a, a corporate slave, but to all, but to create a an environment where where business can flourish. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, <laughs> the, the the current provincial government in BC hasn't been very very friendly on that matter. Right. And even the federal government, for that matter, to be honest with you, I mean the 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 policy that they put in place with uh, businesses now having to pay uh, an additional tax on incomes over fifty thousand um, dollars. Yeah. It's you know it's like yeah. why yeah. <laughs> why why are you doing this yeah well I mean it's interesting on that note you know I just got back from my accountant it's like oh you owe more taxes than you did last year even though you made around the same it's like oh that's fantastic well, <laughs> <laughs> you know and like I'm, look I'm all I'm all for paying my fair share absolutely as we should I mean we live in this society we've got roads to pay for we got education yeah. but at the same time it's like why am I being penalized if I've rolled the dice. I mean, we, we spent like half an hour talking about yeah. cash flow, taking zero eating, pay, ramen, yeah. eating ramen noodles. Like, why am I getting penalized for, yeah. for taking that risk? Like, how do you? How are you encouraging entrepreneurship if all you keep doing is taxing a little guy? Well, I mean, you know, I'm I'm all for like if you want to tax entrepreneurs more, that's fine. But an entrepreneur, if you and a lot of people don't know this, but if your business fails, you can't claim employment insurance. Uh, There's zero EI for you. Like you go out of business, there's no like you, you can't claim employment insurance on on cell phone business. I want to cut this part out. <laughs> you, you can for a year. Okay. Oh, yeah. The conservatives brought that in. Yeah. When was that? That was in 2008 when the market crashed. Oh, okay. So it's up to a certain period of time. Like you know, they they go based off your your income statement. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, but that wasn't the case up until 2008. Interesting. The conservatives brought that in. Interesting. I didn't know yeah. that was in there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we want to bash the government. Yeah. Yeah. Like, they did a good job. <laughs> yeah. Just like zoom in on the spot. Yeah. That's, that's the first clip. That's, 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 a, that's a blooper. And what they've done in Alberta is if you've worked in uh, like the natural resource industry, they've actually extended it. I think it's like uh, nine or 10 months now or 11 oh, months wow. instead of eight months. Because they want to encourage. Yeah. Well, it's just like their way of appeasing uh, to all burdens for like not doing anything. But but you're right though. Like you're well, you're not paying into CPP, right? Like there's yes. like, that's an up, yeah. that's an upside. There's no yeah. cushion, right? Right. Like, there's there's 
you're rolling the dice, yeah. Yeah. you're taking all the risk, you're maxing out your line of credit sometimes just to like pay your bills yeah. until your your income comes in because your account uh, receivable is yeah. you know like yeah. X amount. Well, and the liability, you're liable for the services you render. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Like if I told you how much we have in accounts receivable right now, you'd be like, well, you work with hospitality, <laughs> yeah. so <laughs> accounts receivable and hospitality. Accounts receivable, receivable, yeah. like yeah. yeah, what's that? Yeah, it's coming to the invoicing. And and you know what? Things like the MSP premium tax, like. Mm okay, well, why should we pay this, you know, let's push this contractor to the side because we have to pay the government. <laughs> so if we don't pay the government, then we're then we're screwed. Yeah. So it, it's a trickle down effect when you create these market conditions that aren't favorable for, for the small business owner. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, incentives, right? I mean, small business is one of the largest employers, right? Like the largest business it is, it is, it accounts for 75% of right. the industry, yeah. 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 It's, um, and, and nowadays it's like, okay, so you look down south, the the Americans, they reduced their corporate income tax from something was like 33 or 35%, and now it's 21%. Oh, it wow. was a massive, it was a massive hmm. cut. A lot of the right. stock market rally is, is, is a result right. of that cut. Yeah. But, but but what are we doing to be competitive? Like right. we, we've done absolutely nothing. Yeah. And for us, like in recruitment, it it didn't make sense to do business in, in the States, you know, five years ago. Right. But now it's like, okay, it actually makes more sense for me to go down south, do business in California and New York, mm -hmm. where the corporate tax rate's 21%, than do it here, which is like, depending on which province you're in. Plus the exchange rate that you get. Plus the exchange rate, yeah, yeah which is like 28 to 32, 33% up here, 35%, yeah, depending yeah, on which yeah. province you're in. Yeah. So yeah, I mean it's the combination of the the market conditions that the governments have have placed on uh, small business owners. It's it's not very friendly. Yeah. And I'm not saying to be a corporate slave. Like yeah. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah. if you make money, it's your it's your obligation as a citizen, as a business, as an entity to, yeah. to pay your fair share. Yeah. Absolutely. But you know, don't penalize people for taking that yeah. risk. I mean, the one thing that I I agree with in terms of some of the these loopholes that they've closed for small business owners is. What I, and this isn't an informed opinion, right? but what I kind of take a step back and see is that basically governments were giving people really good tax rates if you were a generator of employment. So if you generated jobs, you got the upside of having like, you know, this corporate tax that was a bit lower. And if you were under a certain threshold for your annual EBITDA, all these things, but other people that weren't employers and that didn't generate jobs right. were taking advantage of that through incorporating their businesses sure. and not having employees outside of themselves and their wife. Right. Right. So it's like I'm a one-person show. Yeah. And I make you know I make business class money, and it's all for me only. Right. Right. So I'm not employing people. So like if you are you know a a, a one-person show and you're not generating legitimate jobs. Should you have the 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 upside and or the benefits of somebody that generates jobs? Right. Probably not. Right. Right. Yeah, I agree. And you're issuing, you're issuing yourself out dividends, and those are taxed at a lower rate. Yeah. I, I get it. Not but anymore. I, apparently. Well, yeah, not anymore. But I still think, like in any system, you're going to have people that take advantage of it. I, I'm yes. a firm believer that that's a, a a minute amount of people that that take advantage mm -hmm. of that system. I just think it's crazy where you know, as a small business owner. Yes, you know, with us, there's autumn recruitment, which is a separate entity. 
Right. And then there's Maz Artang, right. an employee of, of Autumn Recruitment. So right. in the eyes of the government, we're two separate entities, yes. two separate bank accounts. But really, I mean, in my eyes, at the end of the day, it's we're essentially one person. Well, I mean, if the business is short on cash, you're gonna put money into the business or leave it in the business and not take a salary that month. Exactly. At the end of the day. Yeah, so yeah. With, with the with the current market conditions, I'm being taxed on two fronts. Right. I'm being taxed as Maz Artang, uh, a, a technical employee of autumn recruitment. Right. And then I'm getting taxed on, on autumn recruitment. Yes. So that's that's where for, for me it's like, okay, well how do we how do we maybe reduce the the burden on small businesses when it comes to the yeah. tax rate so that you're not being taxed on two ends? Yeah. Because you're right, if audit recruitment is is low on cash flow, then it's Maz or Tang that has to, that yes. has to put the cash in and, yes. and infuse it in audit recruitment. Yeah. Right? I mean, Absolutely. it's not like you know, this arbitrary fund that just like has money or access to credit. Yeah. It's coming from a source. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah, it's interesting to watch, but it'll be interesting to see how many people are opening more businesses or if this, you know, detracts from people that are looking to open businesses because. I just don't know if those people will actually understand these things right. in the first place. Will it detract from people doing business once they're in business one or two years and they figure out the impact of them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is it too late by then? <laughs> is it, is it, yeah, is it too late or, you know, if, some, if a business is struggling and they have a couple of employees, maybe they came from an executive background and they're like, well, you know, I can make the same amount of money if not more working, going back to a corporate job, go do that instead and then have less stress. Why not? Yeah. Or work less hours. Work less hours, you, you most likely have your evenings free, your your, your weekends free, yeah. um, you get CPP, you get, yeah. you know, it's, yeah. For, yeah. for some people that makes sense and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. There's yeah. absolutely nothing wrong with that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, kind of going back to what we were discussing before, like why should, why should, you be penalized, why should the market conditions be set so that the guy who decided not to do that, who right. decided to you know dip into his savings, to, to start a business, to, yeah. to employ people, to, contrib to contribute yeah. to the economy, why should they get dinged on, yeah. on, on the two fronts? In, yeah, in addition to what everybody else pays. And if you're, uh, you know, if you have a payroll of over 500, you know, half a million dollars, now an additional 3%. Yeah, so, so it's just yeah. like, you yeah. know, hands in your pocket from, from every front. I, I, I strongly believe if you have a low corporate income tax, you know, one like Hong Kong or one like Ireland, where it's a clean, you know, 15, 20%, right. that's it across the board. Yeah. Business is gonna flourish. Yeah. You'll have people paying their fair share. You're not gonna have people, you know, working around the system, trying to, you know, reduce yeah. costs, not actually state what they're really making, yeah. putting on their family on their payrolls in an effort to reduce their online, offshore shell companies. Because like the only reason people do that is because it's, at some point, the amount of money that you're talking because of the percentage gets so large that taking the risk and doing something gray area-ish and, and like, like offshoring makes sense to them. Because sure. they're like, my options are pay this or I offshore this and I avoid all this. Right. And I don't know if I, I, I don't think I agree with that because at the end of the day, to your point, like we get services from the government, we're getting like, you know, we live in a fantastic city, a fantastic country, yeah. and we have to pay our fair share. Absolutely. But it's that slippery slope where, you know, if you're making, the higher you go on your taxes, on your tax rate, the more you incentivize that 
cutting the corner sure. mentality. Yeah. yeah. Make it so that people want to keep their money in, in Canada. Yeah. And they're not, you know, putting it in some shell account in the yeah. Bahamas or the right. Caribbean or, you know, Cyprus or like, right. you know, right. it's, yeah. it's, uh, you want people to invest. You want people to take risks. Like that's how you create a robust society. That's yeah. how you pay for things. You know, you want, you need a strong market, a strong free market, a private sector in order to have a strong public sector. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. And like you said, you know, like it, it, it affects your how competitive you are. Like us compared to the, the U.S. Like, you know, the businesses here trying to be competitive, it's harder when you're paying more tax. It just Absolutely. is. And and ultimately, like you know, it hurts the employees as well because you've just got less less to you know to trickle down to everybody else. Yeah, right? exactly. When you make more money, if you're a good business owner, you're going to take care of your employees. Yeah. yeah. People, this perception of, you know, corporate greed, I, I really, I don't think that exists nowadays. I really don't. I, I mean, it does. I mean, some in the smaller business, like, I think for smaller businesses, that's absolutely true because the people that are greedy at some point get figured out and people stop working for those people. Exactly. I mean, I can tell you that firsthand in recruitment. If you're greedy, they'll stop working for you. Yeah. But the, the, the true entrepreneurs, the, the good, the successful entrepreneurs, they take care of their people. Yeah. They pass it down. Yeah. Yeah, they're not greedy. Absolutely. Yeah, so how do you define success? Like, what does success mean to you? Because there is no right answer. It's, yeah. it's subjective to each person. For sure. It's honestly, that's a good question. And I know it's going to sound super cheesy. <laughs> it's like a cheesy response. But I, I guess what makes you happy? Because for yeah. the first year of, of autumn recruitment, you know, that period where I was telling you about how am I going to pay my bills, um, right. it was stressful. And was I making more money when I was working for someone else? 100%. But I was more happier. It was fun seeing the fruits of your labor, you know, right. everything come to fruition. Uh, you know, Controlling your own destiny. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah. That was exciting to me. Now, some people might be like, man, that's scariest shit like I would never want to do that and that would stress some people out to the point where they could not be happy absolutely and yeah. believe me it did stress me out yeah. but that was exciting and, yeah. and it made me happy understanding that you know um, having that that control control of your of your time right you know that that to me is uh, was 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 cool and, and is cool so right. I don't know if I'm answering your question properly but I guess what makes what makes you happy um, and being able to have control of, of your time. Yeah. You know, Nick needs to go see the doctor or his, his family's in town, being able to go, uh, you know, have lunch with them. That, that freedom yeah. to me is, is, is success. Yeah. Now someone else might define it differently, but that's just, that's kind of how I, how I yeah. do it. Yeah. Well, I think it's, and you know, it's interesting you touch on happiness because we go back to the subject a lot where, you know, happiness is relative to each person. So like you almost have to create like a happiness plan. Like I know myself and I know that this is what makes me happy. And that can be very specific things. And as you map that out and try to achieve those things, it can change on you. Sure. As you change as a person or you get, you know, older family things. And it's not always financial. No, and that's what I'm saying. It's just yeah. like, it doesn't need to be money. It's, you know, like what relationships do I want with like key people in my life and family and sure. all this and my free time and, you know, being able to like ski or surf or whatever it might be, right? Yeah, yeah, because yeah, I mean, some people, most people define success it's associated with, with financial gain, but yeah. I mean, like kind of like what we discussed, sure, you could be working for a company making X amount of money, mm -hmm. or you can be working for yourself and making less, but right. 
you know, you might not be able to go on that surf trip with your with your pals or your wife or your yeah. you know take your kids out for you know mm-hmm. an afternoon you know brunch on a Saturday. You might not be right. able to to have that at your disposal. Yeah. So, what I've noticed is that like as an entrepreneur, you can generally take more vacation days. But you have to work a bit in each one. You can't put the laptop down. It's all like you can oh, leave. You cannot leave the laptop at home and say like I'm forgetting about this. And you can't turn the phone off like the whole day. It's not. You need to have you need to have pockets where you know your cell phone's on, the ringer's on. You're on your computer every yeah. day. What's funny? I'm not, I'm not sure if you remember. Remember three years ago when you and I were working together on a. On oh a yes, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So so Nick calls me. I'm I'm in Vietnam. So I'm, yeah. I'm, 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 I'm taking these calls. I'm I'm, I'm doing some yeah. sourcing in the yeah. morning yeah. while I'm in Vietnam. Right? Yeah. So all my friends are out, you know, having beers in the morning. And yeah. By the pool. I, yeah, by the you're pool. Like and I'm like breaking down. I'm like sourcing. I'm calling people. Yeah. And yeah. even last week, I was in Napa Valley for a wedding. We were in the bus. <laughs> in the bus, like being shuttled to the wedding, the yeah. the groomsmen, yeah. and I had a call come in. It was a, it was a client, and it was yeah. like if I didn't take the call, the deal would not have been closed. We would have waited right. until till next week, and I just you can't afford that. Yeah. It's a small yeah. business. You have cash. Cash is king. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I took the call. So right. you're right. Like is be ready. You can't turn it off. No, it's impossible. Mm. When I was working for someone else, big you could do that. were better. Oh, I will, I will, I will, that is one they're of the short, things. They're shorter, and there's less of them, but you can actually hand off nearly everything unless you're like a top, top, top executive sure. in, a, in a fairly large company, because even in a company of like 100 people, if you're the COO, CFO, you can turn your phone off. It's like the COO and the CFO just can't take vacations at the same time, but you can yeah. unplug them. Oh yeah, you can yeah. pass on your, your responsibility to someone else, if another department head. Totally. You can turn off and just enjoy life, but yeah. as, a, as an entrepreneur, no, no way. Not the bucks, the bucks off with you, right? Yeah, and people, especially if you're a small business, vendors just like dealing with the person. Yeah. You know, when, when Nick and I would work together, you know, I could put Nick in, in contact with someone else, but you know, people typically like working with the guy who's making decisions. I know I do. And yeah. it really means yeah. nothing. Even with my accountants, mm-hmm. when they pass me off to, you know, some of their uh, entry level, uh, you know, university graduates, that person definitely has the right skill sets to answer all my questions. But I don't know why mentally, I like dealing with what the head manager, right? That's the guy I like dealing with. Yeah. Because you don't have to go through layers at that point, right? Yeah. So. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks for joining us. Thank uh, you. My pleasure. We look forward to uh, seeing your company grow and world domination of the uh, <laughs> hospitality <laughs> recruitment space. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Awesome.